Sisters, the Brewing Surround, I'm Janelle Sanishev. I'm Jonathan Plissé. And this is the uh, first uh, show of our uh, uh, Brewing with Style show, and we're going to uh, be talking about how to make better beer. That's the whole purpose of this. And uh, I think both John and I agree that one of the great ways to learn to make better beer is to learn to brew the style. Now, you don't have to brew the style. You can, you can brew whatever you like to drink. But one of the things uh, Brewing to Style makes you do is learn the ingredients, learn the processes, and learn how those uh, uh, affect the outcome and allow you to uh, uh, really uh, dial in your technique. And uh, if you can brew to style, then once you learn to do that, you can learn to do anything. And you can you can break out and do all sorts of great beers. But uh, being uh, being able to control your process uh, really has a lot of value in the in the long run. Wouldn't you agree, John? I do. Well, I understanding what different ingredients like hops and grains uh, really help you understand styles of beer. It allows you to manipulate different styles of beer. You even tasting grains raw. I would say uh, you can even taste them later in your hydrometer sample, pre gravity or pre boil. Uh, after fermentation, you can actually see how your yeast affect the very malt that you use to make your wort, and I think that really contributes to understanding beer styles. And uh, one of the other things, if if you do want to compete and you you are interested in, uh, just fun. Yeah, you know, uh, one of the the great things about competing is uh, you get some honest feedback on your beer, and uh, some good, some bad. Right, yeah. and, and not all of it's great feedback, but but you will get some good feedback, and that helps you improve your beer as well. And uh, if you are interested in competing, we'll have some tips uh, uh, how to improve your beer for competition as well. Well, and today we're going to be uh, talking about uh, Russian Imperial Stout, and uh, this is a, a big, bold beer that uh, actually has quite a range of uh, interpretations. Uh, Russian Imperial Stout, uh, many years ago, back in, uh, 1800s or so, they, uh, uh, they started, uh, uh, brewing, uh, high gravity. uh, high gravity porters for export to the Baltic regions, to, uh, uh, Russia. And, uh, what, uh, they would do, similar to, uh, IPA, how they, they would make a higher alcohol beer, and higher hopping in order to uh, ex- uh, have it be stable on export. Uh, they did the same with uh, porters, and it uh, end up um, when they started doing stouts, they had these uh, higher alcohol, higher hopping, uh, intense uh, beers, which became uh, popular with the Russian court, and they started calling them uh, Russian imperial stouts. And uh, why did they do that? Well, uh, you know, they were they were exporting. Uh, uh, whatever products it could, and beer was one of the things they could export, and they imported wine into to England, and uh, beer was an export. And uh, eventually, uh, they even uh, set up some uh, breweries in Russia, brewing uh, the Russian imperial stout. And to this day, uh, you know, the Baltic porter style is uh, kind of a remnant of that. Uh, is, it, is it similar to a Russian imperial stout? Well, Baltic porter is like a like a big high alcohol porter, mm-hmm. uh, which is you know related back to that time. Uh, and a lot of a lot of them brew them with a lager yeast, just because they they had they did a lot of lagers around that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, now uh, nowadays, uh, you know, they really picked up the style in the United States. So uh, you talk about uh, like old Rasputin. Uh, here in uh, California, mm-hmm. and uh, that's become kind of like uh, one of the 
foremost known uh, Russian imperial stouts in, in the Americanized style. So, uh, how big is that beer? Well, um, let me let me go into uh, there's there's two different kind of uh, interpretations to the style. So there's kind of an English version, and the English version is going to be a little lower alcohol, lower hopping, and uh, uh, more fruity and more estery. Right. Okay, and the American version is going to be uh, bigger, higher alcohol, uh, more bitter, more hoppy, uh, more roasty, but with a cleaner ester profile. Mm. Okay, so uh, just like there's an English IPA and there's uh, an American IPA, uh, there's kind of an English Russian Imperial Stout and there's an American Russian Imperial Stout. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's it's kind of, I guess, kind of the way we do things here. Can you blend the two? Uh, sure, you can blend the two. One of the great things about this is there's a, a wide uh, range of uh, interpretations to the style. So uh, you can go sweeter and more dessert-like. Mm-hmm. You can go um, hoppier and drier and more roasty and intense. Uh, it can be anywhere from like a barley wine to a big, you know, porter. Okay. So kind of in between. Um, on uh, Russian Imperial Stouts, they tend to be... Uh, you know, in the, you know, 1075 uh, to, you know, uh, 1095, 1095, yeah, yeah, in that range. And, uh, what they all have in common is a, is a big, big roasty, uh, uh intense, uh, uh, flavor. Uh, one Russian Imperial Stout that, that does, uh, uh quite well and is, uh, like 18 to 20 percent alcohol is actually, uh, Dogfish Head. They have their worldwide stout. No. How do you reach that gravity though? Well, they'll do that with some sugar additions. Okay. Right. So if, if you try to go all malt and, and get, uh, 18 to 20 percent, it's very difficult to, to do that. It ends up cloyingly sweet because of the percentage of attenuation. So you have to use some, some plain sugar in there. Get those, uh, get those alcohol levels. I'm sure that would take a few months to ferment. Uh, you'd be surprised. I, you know, they can do it, uh, in a short period of time. Um, you know, they do their, uh, dogfish head 120, uh, in less time than that. And they've right. done that, uh, they do that with sugar additions as okay. well. What type of, uh, roasted grains would you use in an imperial stout, Russian imperial stout? Uh, you can use, a just about anything, anything from uh, you know the, the chocolate malts to uh, up into the, the roast barley or the uh, black patent. Okay, uh, will will work work just great. Um, uh, after the break, we'll get into kind of recipe formulation. Sure. Um, uh, one of the important factors in brewing a Russian imperial stout is getting up to like at least a ten percent. Uh, roasted grain, dark roasted grain. Uh, if you if you get below that, one one of the interesting things with uh, roasted grain is that um, if the intensely dark malt is in certain percentages, you get kind of a uh, a harsh, dry, burning flavor, and as and you can you can uh, with the right percentages, it becomes chocolatey. With the right percentages, it becomes uh, coffee-like, and with the right percentages, it becomes you know ash-like. Right. And you've got to kind of hit the right percentage in there to be, um, you know, you want that coffee, chocolatey kind of sense in this beer. Uh, the style tends to. Uh, we don't really want it to be astringent either. There's right. Kind of puckers right. your cheeks or whatever. And like right. Too in, too intense. Too ash-like. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about oaking a stout? Oaking a stout, uh, you know, it, if you if you did it uh, in moderation, uh, might might be nice. Uh, if you if you get to a real woody profile, then uh, you know it's probably more kind of it starts to kind of get out of style. Okay, right. Um, you know, the Russian Imperial Stouts should be uh, complex and roasty and malty, and uh, you know, uh, if you're going uh, more of an English interpretation, it should be have a lot of fruitiness to it, mm-hmm. uh, and the combination of those, uh, the fruitiness and the roastiness, it's kind of like uh, Michael Jackson describes it as uh, burnt currants. Hmm. So currants being like a you know the fruit preserves, right? right? And so uh, that 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 uh, 
uh, roasted, uh, dark, uh, fruity, chocolatey coffee, uh, uh, prunes, raisins, currants, um, in the aroma, in the flavor, uh, you know, in the maltiness of, uh, the beer can be. And that's all uh, yeast produced. Less, less intense, or it can be, you know, intense like a barley wine. Right. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, uh, range in those, those things. Um, the alcohol is high, mm-hmm. but shouldn't be harsh, right? Should be, should be uh, balanced. Balanced, warming. Yeah. You should feel a, a, a warming flush from, from the alcohol, but, uh, not nearly, um, uh, intense and burning, right? So, uh, all, all the high alcohol beers should be like that. They should be warming, not burning. Uh, big full mouthfeel to the beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, chewy almost. Malty. Yeah. Malty. Yeah. But they shouldn't be, uh, cloyingly sweet. They shouldn't be under, under attenuated or, uh, you know, syrupy. Okay. And, uh, you know, the important thing there is proper fermentation. Right. So, you know, when you go to, to ferment these, you're gonna need lots of healthy yeast, mm-hmm. you need proper pitch, proper temperature, and you're gonna want to, uh, uh, have that thing attenuate enough to not be cloying because you, you, if you're going to have a lot of grains, a lot of sugars, mm-hmm. you can end up with a real cloying, uh, cloying beer. Well, for such a high gravity beer, I mean, how big of a starter would you pitch for, let's say, six gallons? Um, 1090 plus gravity. Go to the pitching rate calculator right. on MrMalty.com. Okay. Uh, but, uh, but what about would it change versus an English yeast versus a cow yeast? Would you? Uh, yeah, there is some difference, but generally you, you go about the same. Uh, the ideal way to do it is to repitch off another batch. Mm. So you brew yourself, uh, you know, an ordinary bitter with the English ale yeast or brew yourself, uh, you know, an American wheat using California ale yeast and, uh, you know, do, do it that way or, uh, you know, if you, uh, use dry yeast, you could use like the US 56 or the Nottingham yeast. Okay. And just pitch a whole bunch of packets. As so, as you much know, as you can. <laughs> you need, you need quite a bit to, to ferment a, a, a big beer like this. They, they want a uh, commercial example that, uh, they're shooting for before you get into the rest of the ingredients and all that too. Right. Uh, a good commercial example is, uh, uh, Old Rasputin, um, uh, if you're looking at the English example, it's probably Sam Smith's, uh, Imperial Stout is probably, uh, the other one you'll be able to find. Um, uh, uh, Stone, uh, Rogue, uh, they, they all have, uh, uh, good, uh, Russian Imperial Stouts. They're, they're different. Uh, Stone is, uh, you know, more hoppy and, uh, the Rogue is a little drier than, uh, uh some of the others. Is the Samuel Smith the only traditional one, the only English? See, uh, well, there used to be um, uh, the Courage uh, uh, Brewery uh, had a Russian Imperial Stout, but I thought they had stopped making that uh, in the late '80s. And uh, but uh, so I'm not sure that you can find that, or if it's still being produced. It might be, uh, but I haven't seen a bottle in a long, long time. Um, but uh, those are that's a pretty good uh, set, and a lot of uh, breweries around uh, will do Russian Imperial Stouts. So there will be other examples as well. Mm. Did we talk about the Tsar's history? Uh, well, the the Tsar's, uh, you know, they uh, uh, interesting one uh, one Belgian brewer, Lecoq, uh, I think it was, uh, uh, sent five thousand bottles to uh, the Tsar's. Uh, yeah, of the Russian Imperial Stout, and uh, they were so pleased that uh, they uh, made a contract with them, and uh, the Belgian brewer opened a uh, brewery actually in Russia to supply a Russian Imperial Stout to the mm. Tsars. And uh, I think that brewery is still going to this day. Wow. That's great. So... And let's see. So... Um, Do you want to talk about your recipe, or...? Well, let's, uh, uh, you know, uh, one other thing, uh, uh, so we talked about the, the style and, and what it's like and, uh, the, uh, uh character of the beer and commercial oh, examples. Yeah. And I think, uh, what we'll do is we'll, we'll take a short break here and then, uh, when we come back, we'll get into, uh, an award-winning recipe for Russian Imperial Stout and, uh, how to brew it. <laughs> Thank you. 
This is the Jameel Show. Hi, Jameel. Hey, welcome back to Brewing with Style. We're talking about Russian Imperial Stouts. How to brew them, uh, what makes a good Russian Imperial Stout, how to ferment them. Uh, ingredients. Right. So, uh, uh, what we wanted to talk about, uh, at this stage of the game was, uh, uh, what's the typical grain bill for a Russian Imperial Stout? So, of course, you're going to start off with, uh, your, your base, uh, malt, which is going to be, if you're all grain brewer, you're going to go with, uh, uh, an English, uh, pale malt. Uh, the English pale malts are kilned a little darker. They have a little bit more of a malty background. You can go with a domestic, Two row malt, mm-hmm. American uh, two row malt, and and get uh, you know a, a nice beer. You'll get uh, less intense maltiness. So again, this beer has a range. So you could go with that. You could go with the English. I prefer the English because it brings out such a character to it. I like it also in barley wines. Mm-hmm. It brings uh, kind of a toasty, biscuity kind of overall background. That it's got more body. It's not as dry. So. Yeah, yeah. tends tends to be that way. Um, if you're an extract brewer. You're, you can uh, get a similar uh, – I, I know uh, uh, quite a few of the uh, homebrew shops now are carrying this uh, Marisotter-based uh, uh, extract. And uh, you can use that or you can use your regular old uh, uh, extra light uh, malt extract, liquid mm-hmm. or dry. Uh, you're going to want one that ferments fairly well. Um, Alexander's or Brees, uh, they tend to ferment fairly well and make, are good for making a big beer like this. Uh, and that's going to be, you know, 80 some odd percent of your, uh, grain bill or malt bill. And, uh, then you're going to need something to provide, uh, some caramel and some sweetness and some mouthfeel as well. Uh, I like to use, uh, Cara Munich or some special B or you can use some crystal 120, mm. uh, crystal 70, crystal 40, kind of break it up into do you want a darker Levabon type grain? Uh, I like Sweeter? to I like to use a range. If you if you use um, if you use uh, some of the darker grains, you tends to uh, especially uh, around the one twenty uh, Levabon range and the special B range, um, you will get uh, kind of a uh, uh, with the right percentages, you'll get kind of a fruity uh, fig like character out of them out of those dark Newtons. ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of okay. like a roasted uh, sweet uh, flavor. Hmm. It's nice to break it up into a couple of ranges. I tend to use, uh, uh, you know, about a half pound of Cara uh, uh, Munich and a pound of uh, Special B in my formulation, and this is in a six-gallon batch. And uh, that's Cara Munich tends to be around seventy love, and the Special B is in the 120 to mm-hmm. 200 range, depending on who you're talking to at the time. Um, and uh, you get a nice uh, uh, complexity from that. You could also, if you don't want something quite that uh, caramelly, figgy, uh, you might substitute a percentage of the special B with uh, uh, maybe some Crystal 40, kind of mm-hmm. break it up that way. So I got questions about um, substituting stuff, too, since you're doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh can you use dehusked grains like carafa, and is carafa three a good substitute when you're talking? You can, but I would not. Um, the The reason to use a dehusked grain is to get rid of the uh, roastiness. Mm-hmm. And in this style of beer, you really do want the roastiness. If you're doing something like a Schwartz beer, you want to get rid of the the roastiness, and you want to have the dark color without the roastiness, and that's what the carafa special is used for the dehusk carafa. In this, you're going to want to use um, about 10% uh, dark roasted malts. So, in my formulation, I'll use uh, a pound and a half of roasted barley in a six gallon batch. I'll use uh, a half pound of chocolate malt, and then I break that up with a half pound of uh, light chocolate, the pale chocolate. And I like that because it gives me a kind of a toasty uh, background. That kind of goes well with uh, the chocolate malt, and it gives you a range of flavors of uh, uh, chocolate, coffee. Do you get an aroma from that? Uh, like chocolate aroma? Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I brought it in on a show here a while ago. I brought in like a four-year-old bottle, hmm. and uh, it had a nice uh, coffee, roasty. And uh, the, the trick is you you got to make sure you're getting uh, at least 10% of the, these dark roasted malts. 
Um, John and I were talking earlier about a, a really great brewer in our area, uh, Mike Riddle, who's w- well known for his Russian Imperial Stouts. Mm-hmm. And if you have had any of Mike's, um, they tend to be intensely roasty to the point where uh, they can be ash-like or very acrid. And uh, he does really well in competition. I I like mine a little more uh, dessert-like and slightly sweeter and uh, uh, not ash-like. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, Mike's method uh, produces some real award winners. Does the, the ash would come from his roasted barley, then it's a high percentage of that? Right. He goes okay. with a, a pretty intense level and then... Uh, he also he also uh, has a he goes uh, for a fairly high alcohol higher alcohol than I do mm-hmm. and uh, uh, quite a bit of fruitiness from the from the fermentation. What about flaked barley in recipes? Some people have seen some flaked barley used in these. When you use flaked barley, flaked barley tends to improve uh, head retention. So okay, uh, and uh, doesn't alcohol take away head mouthfeel? retention? Uh, yeah, it does. But you know when you get up to a, a malt bill this big. Uh, you know, you're trying to get to, uh, you know, a starting gravity of, uh, you know, 23 Play-Doh or around, uh, uh, you know, 1095, 10 uh, or so. Uh, when you, when you get to that big a beer and, uh, you know, you'll ferment it down to, uh, oh, you know, 20 maybe, around 20 or so, um, it is, uh, it's it's gonna have a lot of body already, so I wouldn't add a lot of flake barley if you if you're going to. It can become too syrupy and too thick if you do, and then uh, also it should it should have a decent head retention regardless. Um, when you get into uh, an intensely high alcohol like a worldwide stout where you're doing eighteen twenty percent and you're using a lot of sugars, um, it tends to uh, you know thin out the beer, and then you you have a uh, uh, less head retention hmm. but in something like this when you're you're in the you know 10 percent range um you'll you'll be okay uh with with uh, the head as it is here in the uh carafa is all carafa dehusked or just carafa three carafa special is dehusked the one two three um indicates the level of roasting okay so it's like co- uh, chocolate or or roast barley so it's the color of roasting is the number Special is dehusked, and the regular Carafa has the husk. Okay. So if you use the the Carafa with the husk, um, that's fine. But you you've got to get that roasted uh, 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 flavor in there, and and the dehusk won't give you that. Hmm. When you go for hopping, um, uh, if you don't have Ray Daniels' great book, designing uh, great beers, um, you want a bitterness to um, gravity ratio. He says about one. So that would be if you have a uh, uh, 1095 original gravity, you want about 95 uh, IBUs. I tend to go a little less. I tend to go with uh, uh, like 75 IBUs for a 1095 beer. Wow. And it, it makes it, again, a little sweeter. And, and what the sweetness does with the intense roastiness is it makes it more uh, chocolatey and more coffee-like uh, versus uh, if you if you go uh, a little higher IBUs, it tends to be a little more angular. Um, well, more of your grain will come through. Right. Malt flavor. So you, if you're going to do this, you, you're going to want to use a, a high alpha hop, uh, something like Magnum or Horizon for your bittering, uh, like a 60-minute boil on that. And uh, you'll want to um, use a, 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 you know, a clean hop for that. And then if you like the American interpretation, you can use a lot more hopping uh, in late hops as far as... Uh, would it, do you have an aroma in an, an American style? Yeah, they uh, not intense like an IPA, but mm. uh, they tend to have some uh, hop aroma in a lot of styles. Mm. And uh, you know, so you want like a ten minute edition, a one, a one minute edition, or maybe five minute editions of uh, you know an ounce, a couple ounces uh, would, in the beer. Would you ever dry hop? Uh, I wouldn't. Okay. Uh, the resiny of the dry hop doesn't seem quite right with it. Okay. Um, and remember, this is a beer that. Can last, uh, uh, you know, uh, for years. You can have this uh, lay these down for you know th- uh, four years, five years, if your process is clean, of course. But uh, when you do this, uh, you're going to hop pretty high in the uh, aroma hops at the end, mm-hmm. but they'll drop out considerably after a year of aging or eighteen months of aging. 
And it's just about that time that they're really, really great to drink. Hey, guys, can you reannounce what exactly it is that makes an imperial stout an imperial stout? So Russian imperial stout, it's going to be uh, high alcohol. Mm -hmm. It's going to be intensely roasty. It's going to have a big malt background. It's going to... um, it, the American versions will be hoppier and uh, cleaner in the ester profile, so they're going to use like a California ale yeast. And in the um, English versions, they're going to be a little lower alcohol, maybe seven eight percent, and they're going to have a higher fruity ester profile from those English ale yeasts and uh, uh, fermentations. Uh, so, like a dry style will be, uh, you know, like Guinness. And it's very low alcohol comparatively. Right. Um, you know, crank that up to 10% alcohol and make it even roastier and make it even hoppier and throw some caramel malt in there. And now you're talking about a, uh, a Russian Imperial stout. It's a big stout. What about yeast? Yeast, um, if, uh, uh, if you're doing the American version, you would do uh, California ale yeast, you know, a nice, clean, neutral yeast that's uh, well-balanced. Uh, there's probably a couple others you can use, but California ale yeast is ideal. So uh, from White Labs, California ale yeast. From Y-Yeast, it's uh, 1056. From uh, Fermentus, the dry yeast, you'd use US 56. Hmm. Uh, you probably need about a one-gallon starter if you're starting from a tube or a smack pack. Uh, if you're going with uh, dry yeast, it's probably going to be about 23 grams of uh, dry yeast for, for a beer this big. And it's like five pounds. packs, uh, four packs. Well, if you get the 11.5 gram packs, uh, oh, just two mind. packs of okay. that into something this big, um, <clears throat> you can. Uh, Could you use a wine yeast on an imperial stout? Yeah, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Okay. Um, you know, if if you're gonna go eighteen twenty percent, then uh, you need some to do some special techniques. But if you're if you're talking about a ten to twelve percent beer, you can do that with regular old ale yeast. Okay. Do just fine. Uh, what you want to do is, um, uh, you know, one of the, the the best things to do is to brew a smaller beer first. Brew like uh, an ordinary bitter for your English ale yeast, mm-hmm. or brew uh, an American wheat, or a uh, something like that, or you know, a pale ale. Uh, with your uh, California ale yeast, and then uh, repitch the uh, slurry from that into into this, or you know, rack your 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 wort onto the the yeast cake from that, and uh, that'll get you the best Russian Imperial Stout. Mm. Uh, one one thing to be careful of is uh, when you ferment these, uh, it'll be an active rocking fermentation. You're gonna want to hook up a blow off tube too. Yeah, ferment it cool, 65, 68. Uh, when we come back from the uh, break, we'll uh, talk about uh, uh, more of the process, the mash temps, uh, hop additions, pitching rates, and fermentation temps. Now, back to the Jameel Show. Welcome back. Uh, in our final segment, uh, uh, we'll be t- taking all your questions. And uh, if you want to call in uh, 888-401-BEER, uh, we'll be uh, doing a whole segment just on uh, questions from the chat room and uh, uh, answering all those. Uh, right now, we want to get back to uh, the process of uh, making a Russian Imperial Stout and uh, fermentation. So... Uh, we had uh, kind of covered the grain bill and the, the hops and uh, talked about what kind of yeast you might use. Uh, as far as uh, if you are a uh, all-grain brewer and you're going to uh, make a Russian Imperial Stout, you're going to want to have a mash temperature anywhere from uh, you know 150, 150 to 154 in there. I tend to do things mash temperatures on the higher side. And I've done this uh, Russian Imperial Stouts as high as 156. And, uh, you know, it gives you a lot of body and a lot of residual mouthfeel and makes for this creamy, silky, uh, uh, big, feeling, chewy beer. Does that um, contribute to a head retention? It does. It contributes considerably to the head retention. Oh. Um, if you... Uh, 
if you like a drier, uh, thinner beer, or, uh, you know, you'll go to the lower end of the temperature. Otherwise, you know, 154 is uh, probably a good good choice for, for most uh, all-grain brewers. If you're going to add something like a, a sugar to increase your, your alcohol content, you're going to want to go with a higher mash temperature yet. For every uh, you know, pound of sugar you're adding, you know, add another couple of degrees of mash temperature to kind of counter off the, the, thinning, the thinning effect of that. Mm. Um, if you are a extract brewer and you're making a big beer, especially uh, if you're not doing a full-word boil, you're going to want to just add a little bit of extract at the beginning, uh, boil your hops in it, you do your specialty grains, and then add the, the bulk of the extract at the end and last uh, 15 minutes of the boil just to sanitize it. You don't want to uh, boil a real high-gravity wort like that if, if you can avoid it and if you're an extract brewer. Uh, you'll, you'll be much better off with the, kind of the, I've heard people call it uh, the uh, late what? extract method or Texas why is that or whatever what, what does that do to, to your extract well your extract you know you get a lot of caram- more ca- caramelization especially if you're doing a, a partial boil mm-hmm. uh, one you're gonna you're you're not going to be able to uh, get enough IBUs into it okay uh, for one right. you're you're limited to about uh, if you're doing a half batch you're limited to about 50 IBUs total you can only extract out about 100 IBUs out of hops and if you're doing a half boil, you're only going to get about, once you f- divide that w- with water at the end, mm-hmm. you're only going to end up with 50 IBUs. You need 75 to 100 IBUs in this beer. Okay. So you're going to have to uh, use, uh, uh, you know, as, uh, as uh, much water as you can and uh, boil those hops. Uh, you can boil them in uh, plain water. You'll actually extract about 20% more. I've used out of it, but people say it's harsher and grassy. So, uh, you know, put a little bit of extract in there and do it that way, and then add your your final extract at the end. Um, what about your aroma hops and stuff? Aroma hops, hops. Um, you know, uh, I tend to do a 90-minute boil on just about everything, unless I'm doing a real light-colored beer. Uh, and I'll put my bittering in at 60, and I'll do a 10-minute addition uh, and I'll do a one-minute addition of this beer. So I, in my recipe, uh, last recipe I did, I did uh, uh, a six-gallon batch. I did two ounces of Goldings at 10 minutes, two ounces of Goldings at one minute. And uh, in a so that's an intense amount, but it really, uh, you know, after a year or so, really falls into the background. So um, you you don't have a lot of lot of an excessive amount of hop care. It doesn't turn out like an IPA. Now that's more of an English style. It's, uh, it's kind of a cross between English and American. Now, okay. you could use a, uh, a Cascade or a Centennial or an Amarillo or something like that in this beer as well. Uh, if you're going to do one of those, um, and you could, you could make this more IPA-ish if you wanted. I mean, you can, you can dry it out a little bit, uh, going with, uh, less crystal, uh, malts and, uh, uh, you know, lower, uh, mash, lower temp. mash temp, higher attenuation, mm-hmm. and uh, go hoppy, and uh, you know, make a, a, a roasty black IPA if you want it. <laughs> but uh, you know, you'll be a little bit out of style. But uh, you know, at least you know what you're doing if 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 you go that route. Um, Sounds good. When when it, when it gets to uh, fermentation, uh, you're gonna want to uh, pitch uh, pitch big. Right, so you're going to need, um, uh, you know, one a, gallon. A, like a one gallon uh, starter. Uh, you know, I would, uh, you know, recommend brewing a small beer first and uh, pitching on the cake of that, or uh, you know, going with a lot of dry yeast. The the US 56 dry yeast is actually pretty darn good, and uh, I, I'd you know, it's clean. and it, it it's it's not as clean as uh, the Y yeast 1056 or the White Labs California Ale. Okay. Um, but it's in a beer this big and this intense and this flavorful, you're not going to really notice the difference. It's a very subtle difference between the, those. Um, so, uh, US 56 would be a, and you could buy two packs of that for just a few bucks, cheaper than you can buy one, one, uh, like packet of, bucks uh, or something for both. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, that's, that's really a good way to go. Make sure you rehydrate it properly, even though the pack says you don't need to. You should do proper rehydration and, and 
pitch that big old load of uh, dry yeast. What temperatures? Uh, I ferment mine uh, quite cool. So I ferment this, uh, uh, you know, 65 to 67 degrees, mm-hmm. and that's for both the uh, mainly for the American ale yeasts, the, the American ale versions, the clean ones. Uh, if you're going English, you can go that same temperature range, but I tend to go 65 on the American. I go 67 on the English. Mm. But be careful when you're fermenting this. Uh, you know, I remember one time I was uh, fermenting a batch, and I put it outside because it was like 30 degrees out to keep it cool, and it was the, the fermenter was starting getting kind of warm. I put it out there, and I was watching TV or something, and I heard the dun 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 yeah, he told me I came and I, I opened the door to the to the yard and I had Russian Imperial Stout dripping from the eaves of the house. It was running down the door. It was, you great. know, the stopper had flown off and bounced around like five or six times. And uh, a couple of gallons of Russian Imperial Stout just coated my house. Wow. And uh, so you, you, you probably want to hook up a blow-off tube. It's mm-hmm. such a high-gravity beer and there's just something about them with all that yeast. Uh You'll you'll definitely blow off if you put five gallons in a six and a half gallon carboy. You will have a, a serious blow off going. Uh, so, be prepared for that. That will happen. What were your temperatures for fermenting that? And do you keep them steady? Uh, yeah, I, I try and keep it steady. So I go uh, uh, sixty five degrees or about uh, uh, eighteen Celsius on the uh, on the American ale yeast, and I go uh, sixty seven or about uh, nineteen Celsius on the uh, uh, English ale yeast. You can go a little warmer than that, but if you can keep it cool and steady, you're going to get a nice uh, clean profile from that. If you get, and especially on a high alcohol beer, if you go too warm on the temperature. Uh, you'll start generating a lot more fusel alcohols, and it'll g- give that solventy, really headache-inducing beer. You can make a 10% alcohol beer that doesn't give you a headache mm-hmm. if you ferment cool and have pitch lots of yeast. It smells like uh, isopropyl alcohol. Right, right. Yeah, it smells like rubbing alcohol yeah. or paint thinner. Yeah. Um, you ferment it too warm. Um, what do you think about it using a lager yeast? Uh, you know, that's what a lot of the Baltic porters do is they, uh, they go with the lager yeast because they've used lager yeast there. Um, you can do that. Uh, you know, lager yeast tends to produce uh, quite a bit of uh, sulfur, hmm. and um, eh, it can be all right. Um, uh, you know, lager yeast is very good at, at fermenting uh, higher alcohol beers. That's why I like box and, and things like that uh, work out so well. Um, you could you could go with a a lager yeast, um, you know, if you had it and you had a pitch to to, to go on, uh, it, it would be interesting. But I would recommend using ale, California ale yeast, or you know, any of the English ale yeasts, um, the White Labs O2, or or one of the uh, Y yeast English ale yeast makes a, a very good uh, very good Russian Imperial Stout. And uh, you know, you don't have to worry about clarity on these either because. Uh, you know, they're Dark. opaque. Yeah. yeah. So, but you can, you can use a whirl flock or a Irish moss or whatever like that and it'll work out just great. Alright, after the break, uh, we're gonna come back and we'll, uh, answer all your questions about, uh, brewing Russian Pearl Sounds. This is the Jameel Show. Welcome back. Welcome back. Uh, We're talking about Russian Imperial Stouts. And uh, right now uh, we're going to take your uh, questions, give some answers. Uh, If you want to call in, it's uh, 888-401-BEER. I had some questions already from the chat room I can throw at you, too. Um, they were talking about adding sugars, uh, you know, like adding molasses, adding candy sugars, things like that. What do you think about that in the profile? Well, you can you can uh, go with uh, if you're trying to get a, a real high alcohol version of this, um, you definitely need to add some simple sugars, and uh, you know, plain table sugar or corn sugar or any of those will will do quite well. Uh, molasses uh, is mainly fermentable, but has a little bit of flavor depending on what kind of molasses you use. Uh, some people uh, will use treacle, which is kind of the leftovers of 
of that uh, process and uh, tends to be real, have a certain flavor. Mm-hmm. You can add those. Um, I know Brian uh, had some questions about uh, licorice and things like that. Um, you know, I would not uh, go overboard with any of those. Um, you know, you can you can add a touch for some for some character if you want to do that. And and actually, if you were doing a, an English version of it, I think uh, it would be a little more appropriate than an American version. Hmm. You want to uh, tackle the water profile? Do you have a preferred water profile that you use? Yeah, I use you know Elk Grove City Water. <laughs> that tends yeah. to work quite well. So if you guys want to mimic. Elk Grove water profile. Uh, you don't. You don't build your water ever. No, I don't. Um, you know, if you're if you're doing an English version, you know, you might go with, uh, you know, some some uh, you know water profile like that, or you know, you could use uh, you know the Guinness water profile. Uh, you know, makes excellent stouts. I think uh, it, it, it's not uh, quite as important. Uh, you you want to make sure you get the right kind of uh, conversion on on mash if you're doing a. Uh, an all grain beer for extract brewers, it really doesn't matter. And I would I would tend to uh, hold back on any mineral additions because it can add a real chalky, uh, minerally taste to it. And I, I find that in uh, judging competitions all the time, uh, people tend to go overboard with that stuff. You're you're better off holding back. Would you want a higher pH um, in your mash because you're using so much dark grains? Right. the The pH will tend to drop more with mm-hmm. so much uh, roasted grain. So uh, you know, if your water's close to neutral, you probably won't need to add anything. Uh, uh, you know, if you, uh, it'll, it'll really lower the pH quite a bit. So neutral, like seven. Yeah. Seven yeah. Seven's considered oh, neutral. Okay. Yeah. So you'd probably be just fine. It'll probably end up around, you know, in the fives. Which is great. It's yeah. Perfect. Mm-hmm. The green bill that you were going over earlier, um, some people are seeing five to seven grain types in a, an imperial stout, uh, a Russian imperial grain bill for complexity. Is that about right? You, do you need that much, or is that kind of overboard? Yeah, you can. You know, I uh, um, I like to make them on the simpler side, but um, you can you can add uh, you can make it as as complex or as simple as you want. You basically need a pale malt and uh, you know some crystal. And, uh, you know, a, a dark roasted malt. So you need three types. Um, I like to split up my, my crystal caramel malts in a range, uh, usually two types instead of just one. And I like to split up my roasted grains a little bit, use some chocolate as well as some roast. It, and especially in a beer like this, you don't want to, if you throw in too many grains, a lot of times beers become very muddy. Mm. So when you're adding something, you need to add it for a specific reason to get a specific flavor. And sometimes adding fewer types of grains will get you a cleaner uh, character on on those the things you're trying to hit. Instead of adding more different types, you know, simplify and add more of just the one type. So uh, uh, you know, I tend to do it with about you know five grains or so or six grains. Um, you can do more. You can do less. Okay. Use five point two in your mash. No. What's 5.2? Let's just tell everybody who doesn't know. 5.2 is a, uh, uh, brewing, salt brewing salt that uh, is supposed to adjust your mash water to uh, 5.2. It's for really alkaline waters mm-hmm. in, that, in that case. I talked to uh, Mike Riddle about that, and for his dark beers, he doesn't even use it. Yeah, he said he used it for a while, and yeah. it was just he ended up with a real minerally taste, chalky, mm-hmm. salty taste, and didn't like it. And I've known a couple of people that have said that, and I... I uh, I actually haven't used it. I was going to try it, and uh, I never – I just – I don't see the need mm-hmm. for that because I'm, I'm able to adjust my mash uh, uh, just using lactic acid. Yeah, I've brewed some beers with it where I've actually tasted some salt flavors, so I've reduced it by half. Yeah. And it's been fine now, so. Right. I'm sure it's a great product, uh, you know. It uh, works. Five Star makes mm-hmm. makes all sorts of great things, so I'm sure they, they got it for a reason. But I wouldn't uh, – it's for certain types of brewers, certain types of waters, mm-hmm. Uh they need it, um, but it's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. So you don't always need it, uh, uh, especially, uh, you know, certain types of water. What about using uh, your friend Brian here's spices and herbs, like maybe vanilla beans? Or right. Um, Brian, tips? Yeah, he was asking about, uh, you know, kind of the historical perspective. Do you, you know, back then in porters they would add, uh, you know, uh, licorice or tar or... Uh, kerosene to the beer to, to give the porters, you know, the more intense, uh, you know, character. 
Yeah, uh, you know, arsenic, uh, things like that. And, uh, you know, would adding arsenic be appropriate to uh, Russian Imperial Stout? Probably not. Um, old but, Rasputin uh, and Imperial Stout, maybe. Yeah, if you're, trying to, kill off, you're trying to kill off uh, old Rasputin. Yeah. Um, but uh, the, um, you know, at the time, at the heyday of the Russian Imperial Stouts, I don't believe they were adding a lot of these things to it. Um you know, once stouts came on, they they did this. They already had the the black malts, and uh, they were they were going with that instead of uh, trying to color with uh, all sorts of tar and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, I don't believe that's appropriate there. You can add some licorice. You could add some molasses. You could add uh, you know some treacle or something like that. Especially in an English version, treacle would probably be uh, uh, an appropriate addition. What about heather tips? Um, you know, I, I wouldn't, especially if you're going in competition or something like mm-hmm. that, you're, you're going to end up with just some odd flavors. The judges will go, you know, it's odd. <laughs> but, uh, if you, if you wanted to, uh, you know, experiment with that, sure. and, uh, you know, I'd, I'd say brew a, you know, a good Russian Imperial stout to style first and then try, you know, changing the recipe from there. Mm-hmm. So try and nail down this one first. Uh, English grains versus American grains. I know you were talking about it in the beginning. Uh, is it just uh, whether or not you're, you know, brewing an English style or an American style, or you know, what's the difference in in using those two types of grains? Well, I I tend to use um, English pale malt for everything, uh, you know, for all ales, and uh, the and the American or not. And what you get from the English pale malt, it's it's killing a little darker and it gives a little bit more flavor, a little bit maltier, a little bit biscuitier. Uh, kind of a, a biscuit thing is is kind of the the thing I'd say you get most from the English malt, sure. and you get a slight bit more color. Um, and, and if you're trying to do a really clean low malt version, I would go with an American uh, uh, pale malt. You can make a fine beer with either, but uh, I just tend to use English pale malt for everything. And how well can you age one? I know you gave an example of one you brought in here that was aged quite a bit, right? Right. Yeah, that was over four years old, that one that I brought in. Um, you want to age this at least six months. It's just going to be uh, a much better beer if you wait at least six months before you drink any of this. Um, you know, brew yourself as big a batch as you can. You know, drink some at six months, you know, and try and restrain yourself for a year to 18 months. The reason to taste one early on is see is if there's any infection. If there's any infection, just drink them all up real quick. <laughs> Gucci's if, got one he's been waiting on for eight months, and he can't wait any longer. If they're, if they're clean, um, you know, try and set some aside. Bury some in the backyard or whatever you need to do to get yourself some that will be around, you know, three or four years later. And it's just, just an amazing how the beer changes over time. Yeah. Uh, and do you use English varieties in your specialty grains also? Uh, depends on what kind of flavor I'm going for. So, um, you know, they're all slightly different. What you need to do is get a bunch of these specialty grains, chew a little bit of them, try them in different batches, and see what the difference is. Uh, you know, try and change just one thing in a batch at a time so you see what the difference is. In this, I, I use, um, in, uh, the last, uh, Russian Imperial Stout I did, I used Kara Munich, which is German, and I used, uh, Special B, which is, uh, like Belgian. And, uh, there's really no restriction on what you're using there. Could, so, could you um, use Karastan? Uh, that's sure. an English coloring. It's like thirty level bond. Yeah, um, you know, maybe you you could use it, uh, you know, for that flavor if if you wanted that. Uh, you know, um, I think you know this beer is all about the uh, the roasty and you know a bit of caramel sweetness and the um, you know the malt back backbone. So I'm not sure. Depends uh, what you're going for, really. Right, right. Okay. And for John, uh, do you need to brew a 50-gallon batch when you do the Russian yeah, Imperial no, Stout? I like to uh, keep it simple and <laughs> count to a six-gallon batch. You don't have to do 50 gallons with the Russian Not Imperial. At all, no. But I tell you, if you were brewing Russian Imperial Stout, I would say brew a 50-gallon batch <laughs> so you have some to drink for yeah. you know five years or then, so. Then we could share it with people in other countries. <laughs> you could last the aging process, too. <laughs> Small beers, brew a little bit of. Big beers, brew as much as you can so you have some to age. <laughs> That's my my motto. 
All right, Jamil, what you got coming up uh, for the next show? Next show is going to be uh, Ordinary Bitters, English Ordinary Bitters, one of my favorite styles. And uh, well, You've written some articles about that. Yeah, I wrote an article in Zymergy uh, for that and uh, won, won quite a few uh, medals in the, in the Nationals with that. And uh, I think it's a it's a great beer to uh, uh, get get brewed quickly and uh, have a drinkable beer that uh, you can knock out and have that drinkable in 10 days or so. I'm going to be brewing your recipe next week. Great. Yeah. And then, then you'll be ready. Thanks. You can you can bring some in. We I'll can be have ready a, for that next ten, level. Get to the ten o'clock uh drunken show. Okay, yeah. there you go. That's that's what I was just thinking, Jamil. If I quit my other job and you quit your job, which you don't like anyway, uh we could just start drinking for this show and start tasting some of your good stuff too. Every, Every Monday. Every that would be great. That would be great. I now, think uh you've got the whole year planned out for these guys these shows, right? Right. Okay. Um and you going to make that list available when we get the page going? I will. I, I, I want to uh, adjust it a little bit. I got some good feedback from Gucci about uh, trying to sync up with the uh, uh, AHA's uh, club-only competitions. That's a good idea. And if we can do that, we'll do that and uh, try and try and help people out with that competition as well. Okay. Directly after this show, I'm going to replay last night's show. So uh, if you guys missed it or... Uh you know, just want to hear Doc's uh, drunken speech. That was great, Jay. You can do for that. Uh, uh, the phone's ringing, but it's too late. We're out of here. You could probably answer it anyway, John. See sure. if anybody wants to help you out. Uh, so, same kind of deal next week, or uh, not next week, the week after, right, Jamil? Yep, every every other week. Okay. The Jamil Show has been a production of the Brewing Network. Any comments, questions, or concerns may be sent to feedback at thebrewingnetwork.com or jameel at mrmalty.com. All information given during the show is given to improve your homebrew and the homebrew community. If your homebrew is still bad after following Jamil's instructions, Jamil wishes not to be held liable by friends and family. All pre-Jamil batches should be disregarded, and post-Jamil faulty batches should be blamed on John, his co-host, or Justin, the boredom. This has been a production of The Brewing Network. All rights reserved.